Amen. What an awesome time in the presence of God. Good job, guys. Awesome time. Happy Father's Day. Good to see you guys. Can we have all the, the men? Hold on, let's say that again. All the men. Stand up for one quick second. Stand up like you're an athlete. Stand up like you're a mighty man of God. Stand up. Stand up. Awesome. Everybody else, no, 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 stay, 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 stay. Come on, guys, stand, stand up. We're going to pray for you guys real quick. Pray for all the men. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these incredible men, these champions, men of God, husbands and fathers and future fathers. Lord, we thank you for their influence and impact. God, the, the, the beauty of their strength to protect, to provide, to be, uh, Lord, uh, the mighty men of valor that you've called them to be in this time, in this season. Lord, I thank you for them. I, we come against the attacks against them, Lord, the attacks of their, against their purity, the attacks against their purpose, the attacks against their character, attacks against their confidence, Lord. And we lift them up right now as a house. We, we thank you for them. We bless them today on Father's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. You know, this week I did something very dadly. I went uh, camping with my family. We tent camped. Come on, somebody. Didn't change my clothes for three days. I was lighting campfires, smelled like all kinds of stuff, you know. The problem with, without showering regularly is that all the animals in the forest start attracted to you, like coming at you, and you're like, oh, you know, you smell like a, a beast. My kids actually tease me because I, I, I fancy the possibility that Bigfoot exists. I'm just saying, I mean, you can't prove he doesn't. All right, all right, all right. So my kids are like, yeah, dad is a Bigfoot apologist because he, uh, he is a Bigfoot. That's their, they're like, you're pretty hairy, dad, you know, and you got big feet. I was like, you know, your logic is sound. So, but uh, I was thinking about dads, you know, on Father's Day, and I, I wanted to, to show some of the, the best dads, the awards for 2022. So we're going to play that here, the dad awards. Um, if you have pants like that, you instantly are a better father. This is Rex Kwando. He goes home to Starla at night. That's from the movie. Bodier Sensei. So, uh, first dad award is the uh, best dressed. <laughs> How many know this guy on the left? He can dunk. He can. That's just, it's true. And then those New Balance. Uh, boy, I need to get me some of those. Tell you what. Tell you what, guys. You want your kids to respect you? New Balance. All right, next. This is the most generous. This really sweet lady in first service yelled out, it's apple cider. <laughs> sure. Uh, this, is, this is how you do it in Germany. Yeah, my son here. Uh, <laughs> All right, next. The uh, Never Leave You Nor Forsake You Award. That dad right there, man, he has a 401k, I'm telling you. He <laughs> wow. Look at the, I like the boy's eyes. He's like, dad, could you not do this, please? You know, on the left. How many of you got pictures done like this at a Sears growing up? Anybody? I think Sears went out of business because they let go of that photo division, right? I mean, I remember going there and you'd be like, you know, and then dad's face superimposed. All right, next. Most encouraging. <laughs> He's got his pint so perfectly posed. I like how the kid's not even look. He's just like, my dad loves me. You know, it's a wonderful plan for your life. This is how God called Bethany and I into church planting. Exactly like that. All right, next. <laughs> Dr. Dad. 
Yeah. <laughs> so, just any kids in the room, anything your dad says to you, don't tell your mom, just don't do that thing. Okay, next. Most resourceful. <laughs> I mean, they only give you so many packets, right? It's like, <laughs> next. Most protective, runner-up. I don't know if you can see it, but it says, stay clear, boys. This is my dad. <laughs> I don't know how you got a picture of me for that shirt. I don't know, but awesome. There we go. Let's give our dads a hand. Woo. I'm excited to, to talk about the heart of a father and, and how to be a dad today. And I know that uh, not everybody in the audience is a dad. Um, we have a lot of moms. We have a lot of ladies in the house. And we celebrate you uh, and everything that you are. But today's all about chest hair and, um, <clears throat> so, and New Balance shoes. So that, that's, no, I'm just teasing. But in all seriousness, we're going we're gonna to talk about the impact and influence of a father. And in our culture, it's interesting because the the father figure is often portrayed in popular uh, TV shows and, and things as kind of being an idiot. Um, I actually wasn't allowed to watch this show because I grew up in a Christian home. Wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons and wasn't allowed to watch Married with Children. But I know the characters. I've watched The Simpsons now as a rebellious adult. But um, the Homer Simpson kind of trope or the Al Bundy from Married with Children. It's kind of like the, the dad is kind of an idiot. He's always looking to sort of escape hard work and uh, get out of, out of the parental situations that arise. And, um, and unfortunately, that, that can often reflect reality, but in many ways it doesn't. And it's, it's almost like culture has this very low uh, vision of, of the father figure. It's kind of like dad is the useful idiot. And it's interesting because what I find in a, in a strategic sense is that anything that gets attacked is valuable to the other side. So for instance, in our culture, sexual purity is, is under attack. Why? Because it's actually valuable to the kingdom of righteousness and it's strategically valuable to the kingdom of darkness as well, which is why there's a fight about it. There's a fight over the image of a father and the place of a father. Even, even terms that you know, we have in our culture today, like toxic masculinity, things like that, which I'm not gonna go into all of that today, but there, there, is a, there is an attack against this idea of a father. And sometimes it's fitting because fathers have failed and, and let down in their roles. But it's an attack against the ideal of fatherhood, which shows that it is of strategic importance. You know, as God reveals himself in scripture, he comes, he comes as a father. Jesus teaches us to pray. He says, this is how we approach God. Uh, we say, God, our father, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That the, the way that we relate to God is in this father dynamic. And it's interesting to me that the father dynamic, the father influence in, in life is a, a door that can bring great positive blessing or it can bring great negativity. Unfortunately for many people, the experience they've had with their earthly father is one of negativity. Where there was meant to be godly discipline and correction for the purpose of destiny, there was abuse or neglect. And so that door kind of swings both ways. The potential of a father, the, the beautiful uh, influence that God wants the father figure to have in life can oftentimes be perverted or distorted into this abusive or sort of absentee kind of figure uh, where we see that in our culture, fatherhood is actually in crisis. Now, if you study this out, I'm not going to go into all the statistics today just for time's sake, but if you study it out, uh, it's actually statistically significant that, the, that crime and people that struggle with addiction and all kinds of behavioral issues that we as a society would deem to be uh, negative, 
that you can actually tie it to a correlation where uh, children that grow up without a father figure uh, in a single parent home or whatever often struggle more than those that have that father figure. Now, I'm not saying anything incredibly controversial, just to say this, that when God uh, wants to do something positive, uh, he's operating in this dynamic of a father. We can't abandon that. And what we need to see is more stronger fathers, fathers that are uh, affirmed in who they're made to be, that aren't living up to sort of this negative cultural perspective of the useful idiot, but rather becoming and being the type of men that God has called them to be. And I know we'd all want to see that, right? Now, ladies, I want you to do something today for me. Don't be like elbowing your husband, you know, today like, you hear that? You hear that? You know, um, just let him listen and, and go with this. And uh, also, ladies, this is also for you because everything I say about being a dad, uh, though you're, you're not a dad and we're grateful that you're not, we're grateful that you are who you are, um, but, but you can apply this in the context of discipleship and being a spiritual parent. Biblically, there's a, uh, there's a verse in the Bible that says that you have many teachers, but you don't have many fathers in the faith or fathers and mothers. And we, we really value something as a spiritual community that we, ha- that we are a family, not just an assembly. We don't just come together on Sunday and have a good meeting and sing some songs and go home. But this is a spiritual family with fathers and mothers in the faith. So I, I say that as kind of an inter- introduction to say that don't, don't tune out if you're not uh, a natural father. Uh, every man can be a spiritual father. Every woman can be a spiritual mother. And these things will apply. So uh, I want to talk today about how to speak as a dad. And I'm going to use this as kind of an acronym uh, to talk about discipline, affirmation, and direction. Discipline, affirmation, and direction. These are three elements that are not exhaustive, but I believe speak to uh, the the strength of what a father can be in the life of their children. That these are the the voice that the dad needs to speak with. Uh, Leaving again that cultural mindset of the useful idiot and stepping into this God-given role that can bring great blessing in the lives of your children and and in the world around us. Number one, the father needs to speak with the voice of discipline. I remember growing up with a a great dad. I'm I'm blessed to have had a a wonderful childhood, a dad that loved me, believed in me, was for me. Uh, Not perfect in any way, shape, or form, but but definitely a great dad. But man, when I was out of line, I remember I could just feel that stank eye. You know what I mean? It was like the the, the scare the sin right out of you, right? (laughs) I'd be doing something bad and my sister and I fighting or like goofing off or whatever and like look over and my dad's just like looking and then, you know, kind of get you straightened up. I haven't mastered that look yet. I try to be scary. My kids laugh at me. So I'm trying to figure that out, but trying to figure that out. I guess I just need those new balance. That's what it is, isn't it? I my dad, he, he has like crazy big calves and I, he always wore super short shorts and white sneakers. So he had the dadliness like working for him. He was actually in New York City back in the 80s when New York City was really, really rough, like this really rough crime time in, that sounds like crime time, you know, like a podcast. Anyways, they were there with uh, Pastor Danny and Giselle Bonilla in, the, in Brooklyn, I think, and he's walking down the street, my dad in his, you know, super short 80s shorts and his New Balance or Reeboks or whatever, white, and uh, everybody was kind of getting out of his way. And my dad's like, Danny, what's going on? And Danny's like, they think you're a cop, you know? So he had that. My dad's awesome. He had that really like dadly, dadly thing going on. And uh, it was that voice or that look where I just knew, uh-oh, somebody is arresting my behavior. You know, someone is actually uh, providing this voice of discipline. There's a verse that I want to read you in 1 Kings chapter 1. It talks about uh, David and his son Adonijah. It says about that time, David's son Adonijah, whose mother was Hagith, 
began boasting, I will make myself king. Now, to give you some backdrop, Adonijah was not David's choice to replace him as king. That was Solomon. Solomon was the promised heir of this kingdom. David had a bunch of sons, and they were extremely dysfunctional. David uh, did a lot of things wrong, did a lot of things right. One of the things he got very wrong was he was not a good father. We see in his uh, story the, the, the absolute crisis of his family. Uh, it's, it's very sobering. So here's Adonijah. He's one of David's sons. He, he says, I'm going to make myself king. And it says, so he provided himself with chariots and charioteers, uh, which I guess at that time was what you did, uh, and recruited 50 men to run in front of him to kind of proclaim his kingship. And it says, now his father, King David, listen to this, this part here is key, had never disciplined him at any time, even by asking, why are you doing that? In other words, not only did David not bring discipline to his son, he didn't even take the time to question or challenge the decision-making or behavior. Uh, Bethany and I were, were trying to guess, like, in the first service, how many times a day do we say to our children, why did you do that? You know, why did you hit your brother? Why did you throw spaghetti at the wall? Why did you take the wooden spoon and throw it at our brand new TV and break it? Why did you, you know, that's a real story. Why did you... <laughs> You know, why did you go out into the neighborhood and, and yell, you know, some cuss word? That was a real story from this week, too. Like, why did you? So even in, even in the, the element of just simply bringing a challenge to the mindset or the behavior, it's kind of like, hey, Dad, it'd be awesome if your kids knew you existed, that your presence is at least there enough to say, I'm challenging the way that you're, you're thinking. So David's, uh, Adonijah's dad, David, King David, had never even said to his son, why are you doing that? Why are you thinking that? What, what is going on here? Adonijah had been born after Absalom and he was very handsome. Now David neglected discipline. He didn't discipline his son. And the results weren't just sad, they were tragic. When you look at the life of David and, and his family, uh, s- some of the, the sons actually killed each other Adonijah ends up losing his life. He gets killed because he's trying to take over the kingdom. He couldn't stop himself. He, he totally ends up, he ends up dead. And it's as a direct result of the fact that his father simply would not provide that voice of discipline. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. If you don't take anything else out of this part, I want you to begin to correlate and connect the word discipline with the word delight. Because in our culture, we see discipline as always a negative thing. And again, if discipline is abusive, then it is negative. If discipline is uh, for the benefit of the parent rather than the benefit of the child, it can be negative. And we'll talk about some of the parameters of discipline. But biblically, the concept of discipline is that it's connected to delight. In other words, when God brings correction, when God brings discipline and the way God sees discipline, it's not because he doesn't like his child. It's because he loves his child and wants what's best for them. He delights in them. When I discipline my kids, it's not something I enjoy. In fact, I'll tell my kids and Bethany and I say this to them. We're like, you know, we don't discipline you because we like it. we're, We're only doing this because your behavior has created a bill that we have to pay. No, you guys didn't like that. I thought, I thought that was good, but no, I'll just keep trying. You know, we, we don't enjoy this. This isn't something we do for fun. I don't wake up in the morning and go, you know, today, I really want to be like the disciplinarian. That's, let me go get my New Balance shoes on and like, you know, really do this. No, I, I would rather just have fun with my kids and make good memories and go watch movies and, and do stuff. But then what I realize is that love compels me to demand 
that they adhere to what God wants for their life, that I actually create some lines and, and have some consequences in place for behaviors that will ultimately bring them down or lead their character to not be what God has called it to be. See, when I look back in my past, I'm grateful that my father actually arrested some of my behavior and didn't let little Jakey just do whatever little Jakey wanted to do. Because little Jakey wouldn't have ended up as the man that God's made me to be if I hadn't had some discipline in my life. Like in the words of the estimable prophet, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you lack discipline from kindergarten cop. It's like the end all be all picture of a awesome dadliness right there. But discipline connects to delight. When you delight in your children, dad, you're going to bring discipline. Now, let me give you some thoughts on discipline. So we're not swinging to the wrong side uh, on this. How do we actually live this out? A couple of thoughts on discipline. Number one, when we discipline, we discipline for them, not for you. So not when you're angry, not, not when you're emotional, not when you're frustrated. We had a, a great week this week, but man, our kids were, they were really doing what my dad called riding the dog. I, we never had a dog, so I don't know where he got that, but my dad would be like, you guys are riding the dog. And we knew what that meant was like, you're about ready to get a spanking. You know what I mean? So the dog didn't want to be ridden. I don't know what was going on. But anyways, my kids were riding the dog this week. It was like they're fighting and kibitzing and complaining and, you know, disrespecting their mom. And how many of you know as a dad, like, you will, that's where you draw the line. You do not disrespect your mother, right? Because you think maybe that'll get you points with her. I don't know what it is. But they were riding the dog. And so it was like my frustration level was just starting to really peak. So they're like, happy Father's Day. And I'm like, stiff arm, you know, <laughs> not for me. <laughs> All joking aside, we get frustrated. Uh, kids, kids, you know, they do stuff that is irritating, like break your TV, uh, get food on your clothes, fight with their siblings, you know, cuss in the neighborhood, whatever. They, they do stuff. And, uh, and when you're frustrated, when you're emotional, when you're angry, what you can end up doing is is saying, I'm going to discipline, and whatever you end up disciplining, whether that's a spanking or it's a timeout or whatever, we'll talk about some of that later, but if it's for you, it's not right. You see, discipline and delight from a godly perspective is it's always for their benefit. In other words, does this discipline make me feel better, or is this discipline for you in this moment to grow into the best version of yourself that God created you to be? So when we discipline, it needs to be always for their benefit. What Bethany and I do often is we'll kind of tag team. It's like tag team wrestling. If I'm frustrated, I'll be like, tag, you're it. You talk to them. She hits, you know, boiling point. She'll tag me in. And then uh, we kind of, kind of go back and forth. So, you know, it's nice when one parent has just been totally, their brain is all broken by the kids. And then the, the next parent steps in and it's like, all of a sudden they're Dr. Phil, you know? <laughs> so Bethany will be like frustrated with the kids all day. I come down from my office like, hey, everybody, how's it going? She's like, the kids are going crazy. And I'm like, hey, everybody sit down. Jack, are you being the best version of Jack today? <laughs> and then like on Saturday, she's somewhere and she gets back and I'm like, I don't even want these kids anymore. They're your children. <laughs> you know? So it's nice to kind of have that, that release. And, and married couples, you know, you got to work this way. So we're talking about dads, but when you're frustrated, when you're hitting that level, that's not the moment for discipline. That's time to take a deep breath, calm down. And, uh, and, and wait for it so it's for them. Number two, we need to be disciplined about discipline. In other words, when we draw a line, there needs to be a, a, an appropriate consequence and there needs to be discipline in the discipline. Here's the reality is being a good parent is hard work because it requires you to actually think through 
appropriate consequences for actions that are not going to lead to the child's best. Uh, and when we take this in a, in, a, uh, um, in a real world scenario, sometimes I'll say stuff like, well, if you don't stop fighting, then we're not going to go to Red Robin tonight. Well, the problem is that's a spanking for me. So then if I back down, it's like, well, dad really isn't very disciplined about discipline. What he said didn't really matter. Does that make sense? So when we draw lines, we, we want to um, make sure that we are, 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 are following through with that and be disciplined. Uh, I'm not excellent at this. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty bad at it. Oftentimes I'll make a big proclamation and then it doesn't really come to pass. And so I've been working on at least thinking through this at a higher level, like, okay, if I'm not going to actually follow through with the appropriate type of discipline and the instruction and the love and the conversation and the, the full process, then I probably should just let them do what they're going to do rather than like flub it, if that makes sense. Okay. The next one, number three, is this. Discipline should always coincide with direction and instruction. So the thing about, direct, about discipline is that discipline is never something that is supposed to exist for its own sake. And I'll say it this way. Discipline, the point of it, is to create self-control, eliminating the need for itself. So the reason that I discipline my children at six, eight, and 10 years old is so I don't have to, they don't have to be disciplined by life at 16, 18, and 20. So that they don't have to be disciplined with a broken marriage at 36, 38, and 40. Are you with me? What I want to create in their life as the father that is there to, to be like God the father in this family relationship with them in this dynamic is to lead them into a life of self-control, which is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, that they would then be able to self-govern. How many of you believe that if we had a society and a culture where the majority of people could actually govern themselves, in other words, say no to what they wanted in the moment for the greater good, say yes to doing self-sacrificial things, and, and, and actually just behaving themselves and playing nice in the sandbox, that 80, 90% of our problems would go away, right? It would be like, hey, we have a country and we drew a line right here. And it's like, if you could keep your soldiers on that side and we'll keep ours over here and everybody just be cool. That would solve a lot. Right? Yeah. We'll be like, hey, this is my wife and that's your wife. And we're just going to like, you know, in the words of the street poet, you know, keep your hands on your own boo. <laughs> you know, just like that would be nice. <laughs> Baby boomers are like, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> Yep, he's a millennial. Okay, so if, if people could self-govern, and even if I could, man, the world would be, be pretty easy to kind of have a nice life. Like, discipline is, is moving towards this target. What we have is a culture that has lacked the voice of the Father, this voice of discipline, uh, to really provide that stopgap of, like, there are consequences for bad behavior and it's not because of abuse, it's because of love that we actually want what's best for you and everyone around you. And therefore, that's where that discipline comes in. And the purpose of it is to create self-control. The idea is that every time I discipline my kids, what I say, and I'll say this directly to them, I'll say, hey, it would be awesome if we never had to do this again. Now, in reality, we're going to have to do it again. Uh, but, but here's the deal. What we're shaping here is not the, the modifying the behavior. We're trying to get the heart to resonate with, with right righteousness. You know, when I, when I do my own thing and I go wrongly against what God would have or the voice of my parents that actually love me and want what's best for me, it ends up hurting me more than it helps me. So then when I'm not there, 
that the voice is still there in their head to help them make the right decision. And that's that purpose of discipline. Discipline is about creating self-control. Listen to what it says in Proverbs 19. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. Whoa, it's kind of scary. Do you know that your, your children are, their moral sort of foundation and core is basically formed by about five years old. How many of you are like, uh-oh. <laughs> well, that, that batch got burned. Time to start another batch, you know. All of our kids are past five and, you know, they haven't turned out so great. So let's start again, you know. No, there's a lot of grace to this. But, but actually, it should sober us up a little bit that, or a lot that children are wet cement for very, a very short period of time. What they see, what they experience, the values, the vision, the, the direction that, that are placed in them from a very young age actually start to, to, that cement hardens and some of their character and their characteristics and their nature is actually formed. So as parents, discipline is like what my uncle used to do in the concrete business is he'd put the forms up and they pour the wet cement in so that there is structure to what is being built. So that there is beauty. Now you say, man, if my kids are older than five, I guess it's a lost cause. No, 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 no. No, you, you can continue to work with them and shape them. But the, the scripture is warning us because it is, it is true that a ruinous life can, can come about from someone who was not disciplined. There is always hope, though, for somebody to get disciplined by the Lord and turn their heart. So we're not saying, hey, if your kids are past five and they're being naughty, like that's not at all what I'm saying today. But it's, a, it's something we need to look into. Uh, Ephesians chapter six, verse four says this, and I'll say this the last thing on discipline. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And again, we have this pairing of discipline and instruction. When you discipline your kids, it's not for you and you're not to provoke them into anger. In other words, if I have my child is acting up, the goal is not that I would unload my emotional baggage of what happened to me as a child on this child. Um, you know, well, I was treated this way, so now you need to learn, da-da-da-da-da. No, don't provoke them. The goal is that discipline and instruction go together. So if there is a correction, it's, being, uh, it's always paired with the appropriate level of instruction of why what you did was wrong. Here's what is the right way to, 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 to operate and to act. And the consequence is appropriate to the, uh, the transgression. Are you with me? So this is the voice of discipline. Dads, God has called you to operate in this, in this role. That, you know, you, you might say, well, I'm not perfect, so who am I uh, to, to discipline my children, to be that corrector? Um, you are the one that God placed in that role uh, to do this. I'm not excluding moms from this, but I'm just speaking to dads today. God has called you to operate with this voice of discipline, and you're going to bless your children as you create uh, a demand for righteousness uh, based on the authority that God has placed in you. Um, I, I'm not a scary person. I'm not an abusive father. Uh, my kids love me. They're comfortable with me. They jump on my lap. And we have a beautiful, intimate relationship. Uh, and there's also the side of me that can go. And then everybody, you know, gets, gets religion all of a sudden. Um, so God gave you like that, you know, kind of booming voice and all that. Not so you can be a bear and be grumpy and mad all the time. But like there is something that arrests behavior for the child's benefit. Are you with me? Okay, so voice of discipline. Number two, voice of affirmation. Voice of affirmation. In Mark chapter one, verse nine, see a story about Jesus before he's done anything in his ministry. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River. As Jesus came up out of the water, 
He saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. This passage of scripture is like, to me, one of the greatest messages that I I ever get to preach. Uh, So I, I pray that you'd hear me out right here. God the Father affirmed Jesus the Son before he did anything. Jesus had not gone full Jesus mode at this point. Jesus had not started his ministry. Jesus had not gone and healed the sick. Jesus had not uh, raised up 12 disciples and began to plant the seeds of the kingdom of God and usher in God's kingdom on, on earth. He had not given his life at the cross. Jesus had grown up as the son of a, a carpenter, you know, and, and Mary and Joseph and had lived in Nazareth. And we don't know, you know, I know there's some kind of like mystical different writings that say he did miracles previous and all that. But, but biblically, we don't have any historical record of Jesus doing anything Jesus-like up to this point. And so here's Jesus before he's gone full Jesus mode, before he took off his Clark Kent outfit, outfit and had, you know, Superman underneath there. And yet what we see is God shows up and he completely affirms him, claims him as his own. This is my son and places his affirmation, the mark of his approval and his affection upon this man, upon his son. And how powerful this is as a message, because we often reserve affirmation until somebody proves it. We reserve affection until somebody earns it. And God does the exact opposite. I'm mentoring a group of guys on Tuesday nights and we were talking about this this week and I think it's a beautiful message that our purpose is not so much about what we do, it's about who we are. Your your worth and value is in who you are, not what you do. The good things that you're gonna do come out of the good person that you are because of who God made you to be and your paternity and identity as a son or a daughter of God. And so the voice of affirmation is so powerful. It, It should be rooted. Affirmation should always be rooted in identity not achievement. My son, Jack, you know, he's, he's my, my only son. I have two beautiful daughters. They're, they're all special and perfect. And, and Jack's my only son. And, you know, Jack and I go to his drum lesson on Tuesdays and we'll be riding in the, in the little, uh, little Ford Ranger truck and we're driving along and, you know, Jack will be telling me about his day and he's always talking about Lego Ninjago and I don't know what it is. He wants me to listen to this song about Garmadon, you know. Have you guys heard the Garmadon song? It's awesome. Anyways, Garmadon, Garmadon, say my name, fools, Garmadon, I shave with fire, Garmadon. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> yeah, Jack, we'll be driving down the road and be like, hey, how's, how are things going? And a couple of weeks ago, he, he told me his life plan. And uh, I'm going to share this with you. I, I would ask that you would not go and like talk to him about it because I don't want you to embarrass him. And if you embarrass him, I'll embarrass you. All right. Because <laughs> sometimes people hear like me tell stories about my kids and they think I can go grab your kid or like mess with your kid. You, you can't. Okay. All right. So we don't mess with other people's kids. All right. So uh, I'm saying that with a smile, but I do mean it. So Jack, um, He's telling me his life plan, and he goes, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invent this machine that gives you superpowers. And I'm like, okay, all right. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, Dad, you know how you trade stocks? I'm like, yeah. He's like, well, I'm going to invent this machine that gives you superpowers, and it's going to let me go back in time, and then I'll come back and I'll tell you what stocks to buy. 
And uh, I'm like, dude, that is, that is something. That is, <laughs> that's awesome. So my son, like, you guys know why I don't want you to go tease him, right? Because I don't want you to, I, I'm going to explain why. So what I didn't do, now, do I think that he's going to invent a machine that gives you superpowers? I mean, hey, the kid's pretty smart. I mean, you know, but probably not. But I, I, don't, I don't go, well, Jack, that's impossible. Jack, you know, here's why that's not going to work, you know, and go in and kind of like mess with him where he's at. Now, I'm not going to like raise him as some delusional kid either. But like what I said to him is I said, son, I, I think it's awesome that you are thinking big. I think it's really cool that you're dreaming big. And I love the fact that you want to help dad, you know, do good in the stock market. I appreciate that. You, you want to bless and you know, and we're talking about it, but the, the deal is like the kid has not invented something that helps me predict stocks. He has not provided monetary blessing to our family. His worth and value is not in his achievement. What I understand is that my son, Jack, I want him to surpass me in ministry, in business, in character. I want him to, to be a better husband and father than me. But his worth and value and who I affirm is him as my son, not his achievement be them great or small. And how many of you would just be set free if your heavenly father had, because like, look, I'm just like an earthly father. I am not a perfect father. I love my kids, but man, I'm not perfect with my kids. Not the perfect dad. I, I don't even think that I, I can be the perfect dad. What I want to be is a present dad who's, who's trying to channel the, the father in heaven to them as much as possible. But if we as earthly fathers in our woundedness and brokenness can love our kids and understand that message that I just gave you and share with you, think about God's heart towards you, who is a perfect father, who when you tell him, God, I would love to do such and such a thing. I'd love to invent a time machine. So, you know, I'd love to go do this, God. I'd love to start this business. I'd love to get married, God. And you're sharing the dreams of your, your heart to him, that he's not going, well, you know, this is why that won't work. Your heavenly father is is putting his hand on you and saying, man, you belong to me. And I affirm you, not because of your achievement, but because of your identity. If you have that kind of faith and understanding of God the Father, a lot of the wounds in your life are going to be healed, and you will do some pretty amazing things. You see, my son might not invent a machine that goes back in time and helps me um, learn stocks. (laughs) I tell people, if you want to know how to invest in the stock market, just look at what I bought and then buy the opposite. I have a gift. But um, the inverse ETF, you know. So my son might not invent that machine, but he is going to do great things. Yeah. I believe that, that the destiny and, the, and the, the purpose that God has in his life, again, will far surpass, and my daughters as well, will far surpass what Bethany and I have been able to do. Um, I believe that about your kids. Yeah. I don't think the best version of Joy Church exists in this room. It exists in those rooms. Yeah. And it's coming. Come on, and we get to be part of helping each generation take that step. But, but when you know this is the voice of the Father, that voice of affirmation, it's a powerful thing. I'm getting on and on about it, but hopefully you, you catch it. God doesn't tie his affection, his affirmation on you to your performance. And here's the funny thing. When you understand your identity in God, you actually start to live out that identity and live better than you would have otherwise. See, when, when you actually realize that, that you're saved by grace, not of works, that you could boast, like nothing you've done, all of a sudden you realize, I don't have to do the old crummy stuff I did as a slave to sin because I have a new identity. I believe identity is the key to walking out destiny 
and, and who God's called you to be. And so dads, when we speak to our kids, man, the voice of affirmation, I believe a lot of men, uh, they, they need affirmation. Can't tell you how, how many times I'll talk to an absolute stud, a man who's like buff, making money, has a beautiful wife, family. And I'll just begin to let the Holy Spirit speak to him through me and just kind of affirm him. And I'll see tears come up in guys' eyes because what happens is a lot of times that voice of affirmation has not spoken. They haven't heard that word. So yes, hear it from God, but also men, you know, you can affirm other men. You can speak to them and say, dude, you are a, you're a, you're a champion. You're, you're doing great things for the kingdom of God. Don't, don't be a flatterer. Like we all know when you're flattering someone, right? You know, when you're flattering me, but like when you speak prophetically, prophetically just means what is God saying? Okay. When God is, can speak through you some words of affirmation to other people, man, it makes a big difference. How many of you would go, you know, I need that balloon puffed up a little bit, that affirmation, like it's a big deal. So dads, we speak with that voice of affirmation. Last, not least, number three, the voice of direction, the voice of direction. We have this incredible, incredible, man, daunting task as fathers and, and mothers as well, but I'll speak again to fathers today, this incredible task of stewarding our children's future, of speaking life and direction into them. You know, Bethany and I were um, Bible college and, and young adult directors for about eight or nine years, and then we were youth pastors for, what, five years? More than that? I don't know. Less. Okay, but we were pastoring young people for a period of time. Not that I'm saying you're not young people. You're all beautiful. You're all young. But... Um, um, one of the things that would really kind of get, get, my, uh, get, get in, under my skin would be specifically with regards to directing children to go to church or their kind of their spiritual life. Their parents would say things to us like this. And I remember very specific moments as a youth pastor, parents would say, well, I'm just letting them find their own way. It's like, I'm just letting them find their own way. And I'd be like, um, if your child was out in the woods and they were in the dark and, they're, you know, and they were screaming for help, and you had a flashlight, would you just sort of sit in your tent glibly and then just say, you know, just help them find their own way. They just need to find their own way. If you knew that there was a bridge out and your child was driving a car down the road, would you just let them find their own way? Here's the deal. When people find their own way, they often find their own way to the bottom of the chasm. When people find their own way, they do what the Bible says, which is that in a man's eyes, there is a way that seems right to him, but it leads to death. I mean, how many times has somebody stopped you from finding your own way and you were pretty dang grateful? What if I said, hey, everybody, there's this incredible Italian restaurant, man, the best spaghetti and meatballs you're ever going to have. And you're like, cool, where is it at? Nah, I just want you to find your own way. <laughs> so when we actually use this logic and we apply it in life in examples that are easy to understand, and then we take it over something that actually matters, like the sexual identity and the gender confusion that is absolutely polluting our culture, it's not a hard question. Don't help them find their own way. Help them find the right way. People get so confused about very, very simple questions. And a lot of times, Christians, we have our heads so far deep in the sand. You thought I was going to say something else. <laughs> you literally have the light of God's word. You have the light of, of beautiful wisdom, historical Christianity. You have the light of a, of a community. And we have all this light and then we act like we don't know. We can't answer any questions. Like we don't know. We just don't know. We just don't know about, about what kind of sexual behaviors lead people to destruction. Well, we do know actually. 
So if my kid comes and, and they're like, Dad, I'm, I'm struggling in this area or what, what's happening, I'm going I'm to help them find the right way. Yeah. You're saying you're going to control them, you're going to abuse them. No, I'm not saying that. Have you listened to anything I've said today? I'm having an argument with a non-existent person I know, but <laughs> this is why I always do this. Bethany knows I'll be in the car and I'll be like fighting both sides, you know what I mean? <laughs> Just bringing the you know, fun back to dysfunction. So... What I'm doing is having a philosophical argument with the message of our society and even our Christian society that, that we know exists, right? So this idea of letting your kids find their own way, um, yeah, there are things in life where they have to do it themselves. But as a parent, you were put there to help direct them to take a shortcut to a greater destiny than they would otherwise have. Like, I'm so grateful that my dad didn't just let me find my own way. That he was like, son, we serve Jesus Christ because he's the truth. Go study every religion, but we're not confused. I didn't have a dad who was like, I don't know what's true. He did know what was true, so he gave me the light that he had. With my kids, I'm not going to act confused like they have questions about God. My kids ask very deep questions, and I'm like, wow. So I'm going to act like I don't know the answer. Figure it out yourself. Why? That's ridiculous. Share the light that you have. So parents, don't believe this lie that like anything your kids learn through you teaching them is like not authentic. When somebody came to me and was like, hey, little Jakey, um, four plus four is eight, I wasn't like, well, I need to figure that out for myself. You can actually get smarter by learning from other people, right? And, that's, and we know that about life, so when it comes to being a parent, we're there to bring direction, to, 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 to speak into them. How do we do this? I know I'm out of time, but I'm gonna give you three quick things. Number one, we can speak vision. Here's a, a picture, a vision of, of your life. I'm not saying when your kid's three that you have to believe, you know, tell them they're going to be a doctor or lawyer or whatever. My kids have freedom to choose their profession, all that kind of stuff. But what I want to speak to them is that they're going to be a champion in whatever they do. So if you decide to be a doctor, a lawyer, you know, a candlestick maker, a plumber, whatever you decide to be, we're going to do it with victory and we're going to honor God as an act of worship. And in our vocation, we're going to win, not because we're egotistical, but because that's who we are. And that's the second piece, which is values. So we speak vision to our children. Then we also speak values. Bethany and I, as a married couple, we have a value of looking at problems as challenges to be overcome, not as something to sit and cry in your cereal about. So we approach things with a positive polarity. It's a value of our family. Now, I come from more of a negative bent, and you're like, we know, we've heard you preach. Bethany comes from more of a positive bent. In the, in, the, in the beauty of our marriage, we've found equilibrium in that. But what we have decided is, as a value for us, we're going to be positive, forward-thinking, God-oriented, upward-living, elevated perspective-type people. So with our children, we're helping to shape their values to think that way. When, when they come and they're like, well, this happened to me, and now I'm just going to sit and stew in it, we're like, no. That's not what we do. Remember, you have a vision for your life. And this is obviously relative to the age and the, and the progression of your kids. If you have a three-year-old kid, the conversation might be about like cookies and nap time. You know, if your kid is 13, it might be different about relationships at school and all of that. But it's the same thing, vision, values. And the third piece, how we speak direction, is through strategy. And this is helping your kids build a strategy. Um, many of you have generously given to our children's uh, Camp Harlow fund, so thank you so much. Um, last year we said, kids, you know, Camp Harlow is, we want you to go, but it's like $30 million. So, you know, <laughs> they're feeding those kids over there, caviar, I don't know. But anyways, um, 
we wanted him to go, but we said, hey, mom and I will pay for half. You guys need to figure out how to raise the other half. And we helped him build a strategy. What, are your, what can you do? Jack ended up his level, and because his machine isn't ready yet, you know, he, <laughs> it's in the works. He's doing cans and bottles, right? Collecting cans and bottles. So we know what all of you drink now and how much. So um, thank you. <laughs> Some of you need to lay off the, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, just kidding. You got a soda water addiction, you know, Schmelzer's. So um, he's doing cans and bottles, every baked cookies and, uh, and did that. So we, we, we brought some strategy to the vision with the values to help bring some direction so they could get where they want to go. So think about parents. You can actually help your children figure out some steps to get where they want to go. They don't just have to figure it out by themselves. Now in the actual living out that, we, Evie, we're like, you have to actually bake the cookies and you have to clean the kitchen and so on and so forth. We do pitch in a little bit. I pitch in by eating some of the dough. <laughs> and, uh, but they, they actually do it. How many of you believe like, man, I think I, that actually helps me a little bit with my kids to speak as that voice of direction. Awesome. I loved it. I appreciate. Okay. Anybody else? All right. Yeah. Okay. As we get ready to close today, the last thing I want to say, and I know we're over time, but I think this is important. Just give me a few more minutes here. Um, so many people have been wounded in their relationship with their earthly father. Uh, I just want you to know God the Father will never let you down. He's a perfect father. He loves you, and he speaks with the, this voice, the voice of discipline, the voice of affirmation, the voice of direction. And God wants to heal that wound in your heart. Um, but the fact that we've had wounds from the Father in our life doesn't mean that we should now throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, the strength of a father that was used perhaps to abuse doesn't have to be used for abuse. That strength can be turned towards love and discipline that leads to life. The absentee father that maybe wasn't there for you, that abandoned you, um, that created this maybe need for uh, someone to validate you, your heavenly father is coming to you and he's doing like what I do to my kids. He puts your he puts his hand on your chest and says, you are my son. You are my daughter. Your worth and your value is not rooted in how good of a Christian you are. Your, root, your, your worth and value is not rooted in how much you succeed in life, how much money you make or whatever. You are valuable because you are mine. And I'm here. One of the best things about God is he's here. In the good and the bad and the times between, he's with you and your father's with you. And God is going to direct you as well. So I know some people are, are just petrified of like what to do with life. And as you open your heart to the Lord, the Lord's going to direct you and guide you into his purposes and his plans for your life. You might already be in the right spot. Maybe God's going to call you to another city or, or something. I don't know. What I do know is that as you open your heart to your father, he's going to speak into you and direct you and lead you into this beautiful life he's made for you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's bow our head and close our eyes today. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to connect with my heavenly father. Uh, the way that we do that is by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's son who died on the cross for us to pay for our sins and make a way for us to be reconciled with our father. So if that's you today and you say, Pastor, I, I want to I take that step of making that commitment to Jesus today, we're going to give you some steps. But if that's you today, would you just raise your hand so I can see? God wants to heal your heart. He wants to restore you. He wants to forgive you. Thank you. Awesome. Pastor, I want to know my purpose in God. I want to be part of God's family. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? Anybody else in this place? Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome.
We're going to pray this prayer together. Let's pray it. Dear Jesus, I confess my sin to you. I know that I've not lived up to your standard, but I thank you for your grace and mercy revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be reconciled with you. I put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. Thank you for saving me. Amen.